Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Schaefer's Market Mashup. I am very excited for this week's episode. Please welcome back Head of Product Intelligence at SIBO Global Markets, Henry Schwartz, and the new guy, David Cofton, Institutional Sales and Options Specialist at Jane Street. Hey guys. Patrick, good to be with you. So, for, to make it easier on listeners, how about we just have you guys introduce each other? You know, feel free to do a little Alan Parsons project introduction and maybe gas up your guys' heights, athletic abilities. Let's see what you guys got. Oh, this this is this is a, a funny team builder. Uh, okay, so Dave Cofton is with us from Jane Street Group, which is a uh, one of the one of the most active. Uh, Option and ETF market makers uh, on the street. You might have to edit this and fix it. Um, Dave's been in the business for almost 45 years. <laughs> All right, maybe about 15 or 20 years. Uh, and uh, knows the ins and outs on the, uh, the trading and the uh, brokerage side. And he's a really nice guy. Wonderful. Oh. Sounds like a power forward. Henry, appreciate that nice intro. Uh, 15, 20, pretty good market. Been, been 22 years in the business uh, as a trader and an institutional salesperson and uh, did join Jane Street in the middle of 2018. And uh, across from me, we've got Henry Schwartz, been following his work for a long time. Uh, all, the, all the insights he shared with us through the business he built, the trade alert, and uh, it's, it's been great. What did we say, 510, uh, Henry, on a good day? With platform shoes, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. But uh, no, it's great to be here. Wow. Am I the tallest person on the podcast right now? That is... What do you, what I, do you got? I check in at six feet. Really? Yeah. You don't. You do not sound that tall. <laughs> oh, I, I know. I'm, I'm six feet, 150 pounds soaking wet, but yeah. Okay. There you go. Wow. All right. Bless well, you. Thank you. Thank you. you. I feel... Yeah, I feel, I feel really good right now. Anyway... It is Friday, October 30th. We are four days from a very important, historic, market-moving event. People are talking about it. Everyone is running around wildly screaming and the panic buttons are being hit. Of course, I'm talking about the NFL trade deadline. I, I, I really thought about avoiding the dumb, like, oh, there's something important going on next week, dad joke, but since I feel like those have jumped the shark these days, but I couldn't resist. I think it's because the Bengals made like their first in-season trade in, in, in a decade earlier. So anyway, it has been a heck of a week leading up to the 2020 election. Uh, in the three tr- three days of this trading week, the Dow has lost 1,800 points and is down triple digits, digits again today. Uh, but this episode will be focused on volatility and the VIX back on March 16th. The SIBO Volatility Index hit a new all-time closing high of 82.69. And in the months leading up to the election, expected volatility has been driven significantly higher when compared to election years of the past. But now there's been a shift over the past few weeks. There's been a lot going on. And I think it's great to have two volatility experts here to articulate what on earth is going on. Without further ado, 
let's start at the beginning. Um, what has changed in terms of volatility sentiment when comparing the past few weeks to the uncertainty we witnessed in the marketplace for the first six months of 2020? Henry, how about you take that one first? Well, sure. Uh, I mean, the, the beginning of this year, uh, well, the very beginning of this year was nice and mellow. Uh, we came in and, uh, you know, at the money ball and, and VIX was kind of in that the high teen range, uh, which, you know, really is kind of the long term average. And then obviously COVID uh, took us all for uh, a, a shocking ride. Uh, you know, we saw that that all time new closing high for VIX over 82. Uh, you know, we hadn't seen that since uh, 2008. So, uh, you know, everybody kind of did what, you know, truly went into panic mode. There there was a month there, you know, month of March was was very ugly in terms of performance, uh, was, was a really challenging one in terms of liquidity for the options markets. And, um, you know, things, things kind of stabilized and we kind of got into this a uh, little bit of routine, uh, you know, with VIX kind of hanging around near 30 for, for really the rest of the year. And then, uh, you know, things actually kind of started to um, stabilize and, and it almost looked like people were really looking past the election, uh, you know, at the beginning of October when the polls started to, to tip. And you know, we went from the situation where there was an implied uh, kind of prolonged period of, of, you know, exceptional volatility post-election to things feeling a little bit more normal, you know, in, in the term structure reflecting that. Uh, and although the last couple of days, you know, this, this sell-off has, has certainly lifted implied vols and VIX, um, the, specifically looking at that, the election bump uh, is what we were calling it. Uh, at the moment, it's not looking like uh, there's, there's any dire fears of this protracted contested election uh, at the moment. I don't know. Dave, Dave, do you agree with that? Well, yeah, I know a couple of things to unpack there. I mean, I, I just love in the middle, you said, you know, after the March blow up and the VIX kind of just hung around 30. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think we can kind of overstate how, what that means. The VIX hanging around 30 for the better part of the year. Because if we think back to like every time the markets had a drawdown kind of this decade, mo- most of the time, what has the playbook been? It, it's basically monetize your put options, sell your options, you're in the money puts while you can, because the reversion, the snapback was so quick. You would get these like screaming rallies, ball would go back down to, you know, VIX 12, VIX 13. The fact that it is consistently held around 30, I think is remarkable. And like, I don't, we, I don't, I, I don't think we can understate that enough. Um, and it's really kind of set the backdrop for this election. And if you look at like just the day we're having today, I got I couldn't close my Bloomberg just because God forbid we drop another fifty handles. But <laughs> that that kind of base volatility, the volatility before you even talk about the event, is is so elevated right now. Uh, it's really got all option premiums up. So you know while while the actual event premium may not be crazy, when when added to the kind of existing base volatility. Uh, you know, these options are not cheap. Right. So to be clear, what does that indicate about the options market, of the option market's view of this 2020 presidential election? And how does this sentiment come through in directional cues? 
Sure. Yeah, no, Henry was talking about kind of protracted event. And I know, you know, kind of the last month or two, people have been nervous about this thing really dragging on. We, we kind of break down those weekly options. I mean, it's amazing nowadays. SPX options expire every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday, mm-hmm. every week of the year. That allows one to be really granular, right? You can break down these really narrow windows and say, what is the volatility implied between Monday and Wednesday? What's the vol implied between Wednesday and Friday? When, when we think about kind of the vol surface at Jane Street, we, we think about this base vol, this, this vol that's been just really, really elevated since March. And that's kind of contributing approximately half to the, that, that option premium that an investor is paying. And then the, the excess is, is the event vol. And, and we kind of see that event vol contribute into options pricing around till November 9th. So while, while it doesn't look like it's going to be this long, drawn-out thing, mm-hmm. the option market, it's definitely looking for some sort of you know post-election uncertainty, controversy in that kind of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday window. You know, in a kind of typical election, get your votes in Tuesday, they call it late Tuesday, early Wednesday, you get a concession speech by the loser, and you know, the market will totally discount the, the into market prices on, on Wednesday. Uh, this time doesn't look so simple. So I guess the, uh, the interesting thing about that is if, if you're, you're looking at this election, you say, you know what, I, I think this thing is more of a, a done deal one way or another. And, and I think it might go smoothly and we might get a result, clean, good, clean result on Tuesday night and price it in on Wednesday. Um, you know, you might have a trade to do in, in terms of selling that, that forward volatility right. in between Thursday and Friday. And obviously, that that's a risky trade anytime you're shorting volatility. But I think it's important to understand the op- the option the market's willing to compensate someone, uh, kind of for taking the other side. That that, that this thing might just play out, uh, kind of cut and dry. No, that's that's fascinating, and I love the way you broke that down on a per day basis. I feel like that's very easily distinguishable for investors to kind of look and and articulate. Henry, what else you got on that? Well, I, I agree, and. Um... The, you know, thinking about it, you know, it's easy for volatility to kind of swamp people with, you know, the, the math. Uh, and, but, you know, if you, if you take it at the simplest level, right, you know, when you're talking about annualized vol, you can divide it by 16 to get the daily vol, right, square root of 252. So, uh, you know, with at the money vol in the 30 something range, you know, you're looking at, at uh, moves right at the money ball around 16 you're looking at about one percent moves kind of you know typical right being mm-hmm. a standard deviation yep. and so so looking at where that uh this the the elevated near term uh comes back down in the in terms of the term structure does let you see kind of where people are, are expecting and where the market is expecting uh the the swings to be larger and um, I, I was just listening to uh amy Wu from rbc was on uh, Bloomberg yesterday, I think, and yeah, they asked her like, "What does this market want?" And she said, "Look, the market just wants a clear decision. It doesn't <laughs> want uh, doesn't want things to get ugly." And uh, you know, currently, we definitely are looking at you know swings, you know, closer to uh, you know the three percent range for a few days after expiration. In fact, you know, SPX over the beginning of this week, there were some pretty big trades. Using the November sixth, uh, November fourth expiration, which I thought was really funny because that that would be a you know a really decisive election. It's it's all clear yeah, by the that, morning. That's chaotic. 
Yeah. Um, and then, um, and these happen to be upside, um, upside call spreads, but, uh, and then some for the sixth and, um, you know, we, we haven't seen a ton of positioning out longer except for what we saw in VIX, uh, which was those, those big February and March put spreads, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, that, that's another kind of vote for things stabilizing, but that one was a little much longer time horizon. You know, maybe they were trying to cover the fact that things might get uh, ugly for a month or two and then smooth out early, early next year. Right. So for some historical context, the 2000 election was the last one that was decided. I think it went until the first week of December. Um, so, you know, maybe that's kind of what they're, those people in the end are, are leaning towards. Who can say at this point? Um, but I do want to compare specifically how this year stacks up from an options perspective to the 2016 setup. Absolutely. And just to echo Henry, with that, those call spreads, that, that's definitely some of the biggest trading we've seen. Um, they kind of attach around 3,500. So they've gotten a little bit of a setback just given that, that we've sold off the last couple days, mm-hmm. but um, that that's definitely a position to watch in the uh, in the S and P. In in terms of kind of thinking about the setup versus twenty sixteen, kind of two two major differences, right? Twenty sixteen, I think we're all guilty of a little revisionist history in that we think about Brexit and we think about the night that the election, you know, when they called Florida and S and P futures like went into a nosedive. And we kind of think of it as this really high vol year. But if, if you go back and look at it, you know, we, we recouped those Brexit losses pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and from like mid-July all the way to the doorstep of the election, like November, you know, up to say November 1st, you know, the VIX only averaged around 13 or so in that period. Like re- realized vol was quite low, you know, thinking around 11. So it, it wasn't that sustained high vol. I, you know, I can't emphasize enough how, how remarkable it is that we've held high vol all year uh, this year. So it's just a totally different kind of base point that we were going into. And, and you know, those term structure uh, charts that Henry referred to earlier, we were, we were looking at those together earlier this week. I mean, they, they got the money vol in, uh, in S&P going into 2016 was still just in its kind of mid-teens. Uh, and, and as we're recording this, the VIX is at 40, 4-0 right now. Wow. So, so totally kind of di- different environment. It was just a lot cheaper on an absolute basis to, to buy options for 2016. Um, I don't think it felt to investors like such a commitment, like to take a shot uh, one way or another on a long option strategy. Uh, it, it, when, when vol is at four and the VIX is at 40, it can feel pretty punitive if you buy a bunch of options and then the market moves against you right away, like in the, in the case of these call spreads, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's a, that's a pretty big mark to market loss right away. So I think the high vol definitely has some people sitting on the sidelines. Um, I also just want to touch on what we talk about the skewness. Uh, when we, when we think about skew, we're essentially just comparing out of the money options against other out of the money options, say puts versus calls. Mm-hmm. And that's really the options market way of saying, if there's going to be a, a big event, which way is that big move likely to be, you know, higher or lower? 2016 was definitely kind of a downside risk setup. Like the kind of conventional wisdom was, you know, if Hillary Clinton wins the election, uh, the market might rally, say, a percent and a half. Uh, if Trump wins the election, it seemed a lot less likely. He was like 20% in a lot of the prediction markets and polls. 
uh, the market might go down four and a half percent. So really asymmetric. And the setup this time, well, I guess thinking back, we got it as a market collective, the collective wisdom of the market was totally wrong. In fact, the underdog did win, yet stocks ended up ripping. Yeah. So I think, I think the market kind of collectively feels chastened by the whole experience. And if you, if you try to look into the, that skew this time about whether it looks like an upside or downside um, kind of fear, it's a lot less clear. Uh, kind of all options are, are pretty elevated. And I don't think the market wants to kind of simplify the framework like this candidate, good, that candidate, bad. Right. Uh, I, I just don't think it's that simple. Yeah, and before you go, Henry, I think it's interesting what you mentioned there, Dave, about what they're being chastened. It's almost as if they're kind of break, you know, they don't want they're going the other way now. They're they're trying to learn from from the lesson, and, and so that's kind of switching now to the tail end of it. Well, uh, I agree. It's it's kind of night and day, uh, and it may be an over uh, you know an over overreaction in a way. Uh, you know, you've had, you know, it's, it's been such a, such a volatile year. Uh, and, you know, Dave's right. The implied vol is, is, is held at levels we haven't seen, not prolonged levels we haven't really ever seen. Um, and even though realized, you know, for, for some pretty long stretches, it was not that high, which kind of tells you either um, that they, you know, people are afraid to sell or they're unable to sell options. I mean, if, if the market is realizing, Kind of you know vol that's in the in the teens, but the implied vol you know in the VIX is is way way above that you know by by more than you know seven eight nine ten points. You would expect some premium sellers to show up because in, in a way it's like watching you know watching opportunity go by and you say oh man I would have been okay if I sold some premium last week exactly and then another week goes by you're like oh, I should have sold some premium and sooner or later somebody will pull the trigger and we really haven't seen much of that right. Um, you know, and even the even those VIX downside trades, they're long premium trades, so they're not selling vol. They're buying a put spread that will make money if vol goes down, which is a little different, right? If if you really were um, so convicted that you know that volatility was going to drop, uh, you know, you might sell VIX calls instead of buying VIX put spreads. Um, so you know, I think structurally, especially, you know, and this is also related to kind of how 2018 uh, blew out some of the premium sellers and, the, you know, when we saw the big CTPs implode or a couple of them, at least uh, some of the sellers are just out of business uh, or, or sitting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of people are on the sidelines waiting for, you know, this year to be done. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in, in so many ways that people are just done with this whole thing. Uh, and I think people want to see how it goes. Uh, and then, you know, when they, I think when they, if they feel like the water is safe, they're going to jump back in, which really might be an opportunity. I mean, I don't know, the, the last kind of, you know, pundits that I've heard have been talking about how, you know, either candidate winning is kind of a plus uh, for the market. You know, if it's Biden, it's, it's stimulus related. And uh, if it's Trump, it's, um, you know, tax related and um, kind of a, a repeat of what we saw. You know, for the past past four years, so uh, you know, and to me, it's kind of funky if, if it's if the if they're saying, well, either you know, as long as one side wins, it's good for the market, at least in the in the immediate term. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to see that, and then you know, have a couple of days. You know, we've we've had uh, you know, this week has been rough on the market. We, you know, if if this is just a you know three four percent pullback 
before the election and you know and we go shooting higher or or if kind of something else is going on and I, I do want to take a step back here. And, you know, there's a difference between scheduled volatility events like the earnings in an election and, as I am about to coin, kind of like the wrench into the wrench, these unscheduled events such as the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, how is the market reading these different types of events? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a key concept when you, when you think about kind of the scheduled Versus the unscheduled. I mean, we're we're here talking about the election, and we're, we're all braced for it, right? Like, no no one's taking vacation next week. It, you know, it's all hands on deck. Like, mm-hmm. that's just the fact that we can kind of see it coming. And though you know, it might be kind of sloppy the way it, it plays out. Maybe there'll be some controversy. Yeah, everyone's kind of steeled for it, uh, and the market, you know, being that vicious discounter that it is it's giving people the opportunity to weigh in on both sides, you know, long and short, the direction, long and short, the volatility. Whereas, you know, and, and, and the options, like I think the Nova options got listed back in July. So like the, the day they got listed, um, you know, the SPX November options, we said, those are the election options. But, but you go back to like late January and we're all sitting around on the trading desk when we used to work in offices and these crowded environments. Ah, the when we're days. sitting there in late January and we're, we're looking at the marches, you know, no one called the marches the COVID options. Yes. You know, exactly. and I, I think that's key. When the market doesn't have time to discount, when the market doesn't have time to let, you know, buyers and sellers weigh in and, and, and kind of handicap an event, the, the effects are much more profound. I mean, when you think about, you know, concepts that came from the, the book, The Black Swan, and, you know, that's a, that's a common common phrase these days. I think one of the, the key ideas from it was, you know, by definition, the, the kind of major impacting events, we don't even know what they are yet. They kind of come out of nowhere. So I think it is important for people to kind of step back and say, you know, this is a crazy election, but it, it, is, a, it is a known unknown, at least. That's a good point. Yeah, I like that. Henry, what do you got? Well, yeah, I would just reiterate. I mean, uncertainty is part of you know life and it's part of trading, but there is a big difference between something like earnings. You know, you have a date. Everybody's going to get it, get that information. You know, they're going to process it, and you know the, the market will recalibrate, and then we'll go on. And you know, the, the market is able to absorb that information, uh, and these unknown unknowns or things where, you know, nobody knows kind of how this, you know, if this economic impact is going to be a blip or be a multi-year prolonged uh, rough environment. It's, it's toss up. I mean, so uh, that, that, that I think is part of why you see volatility where it is because, you know, the, the, the kind of potential, outcomes you know six months a year down the road are, are really nobody knows you know people might argue this is how it's going to go but uh we don't know right so um that makes people nervous you know it really does and that's that's um you know that's what we've seen yeah and to to build on that do you see volatility normalizing even in the post-election cycles now, or is this going to be something that we're dealing with for a prolonged period of time? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. I do think that 
a lot of people are waiting for this election to pass so that they can try to, you know, get back to work. Uh, you know, the, the, the COVID situation, uh, you know, people are, you know, getting used to um, as much as it, it sucks. Uh, you know, people, people have adapted their lives to it and, you know, there's some winners and some losers for sure, but, you know, kind of, we're still, we're still going on. So I I do think that you will see, uh, you know, possibly, you know, and I think it has a lot to do with how the election goes. If it, if it's kind of clear, then I I think you may see, you know, a five to 10 point drop in, uh, VIX in that, especially in that, you know, three, six, nine month zone, mm-hmm. uh, can see very that. quickly because, because as much as nobody wants to sell it, uh, it, nobody wants to buy it either. Um, because you look at that, you're like, well, gee, you know, owning long-term volatility at the 20 something percent range has been a terrible trade, uh, most of the time. So as soon as, you know, the, the liquidity community starts to pick up some positions there, uh, they're going to drop it drop it like a, a stone uh and i do th- i think that's what's going to happen it, it would only take a couple of sellers uh you know and and that that vix put spread might have just been kind of the the tip of things uh you know they're they're not making any money yet but uh if we start to sell down there uh and things start to settle down uh they will and if the flow starts coming one direction uh the, the pricing will adjust very quickly that, that, Henry, that's such a great point about this middle area that we're in right now, where it's like the options premium feels too high to buy, but it's too scary to sell. Um, I, th- I think the market can get paralyzed a lot of times when we're in that middle ground. And I think those VIX trades that, uh, Henry, that you're flagging are fascinating. You know, I think it speaks to the ways people are trying to short volatility, you know, to the extent people are, are selling volatility right now using using structures that are a lot more premium conscious, um, you know, and they're not, they're not selling VIX futures outright. They're not selling calls outright. Um, so that that could leave you what you could buy a put outright, but you know, that's, that's also not cheap. So the fact that someone would do a one by two in, in big size where they're writing twice as many puts, they're basically saying, I think ball is going to come down, but not too fast. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty specific bet, but I think, with they, they used 17, I think was the, the bottom strike. So yeah, seems like a reasonable kind of line to draw uh, on the, on the downside and just generally sp- more spread in type structures. I think will though, they will have more popularity after the election. Cause like that event premium is going to come out, but you know, we still see baseball fairly elevated. Uh, it's not, it's not going to be, you know, back to 2016 levels where, where just options look absolutely cheap. Um, so I, I do think investors will look for ways to defray costs, whether that means trading put spreads, call spreads, um, butterflies, or, or getting even more creative with like kind of in-between ratios, uh, you know, buy one, sell one and a half or, or things, things like that to mm-hmm. when, um, you know, to the extent people are using kind of short, short volatility strategies. And shameless plug, but that's why, you know, Schaefer's focuses on options is we, you know, we always talk about their flexibility and the ability to customize your trade and, and for the past 10 minutes that's everything we've talked about um, and you guys already answered what I think will be the wrap-up question but how do you guys see you know market volatility for this unscheduled future of 2021 because let's be honest the, the covid 
stuff will probably be in our lives for looks like to be about a year. Um, how do you see it playing into 2021 and beyond? Yeah, no, it, it is kind of the, the million dollar question because, you know, we're, we're talking here on Friday the 30th in a week's time, you know, this, uh, the election will, will hopefully be in the rear view. Um, so it's all about, it's all about next year and, and what comes. I mean, there are just so many cross currents right now when you think about COVID and you think about um, the FANG leadership and that's getting tested this week and, and Fed response. Uh, it, it's a lot more complicated than just the election. And, and then when you when you take the fact that six-month VIX futures are, are still up in that region that we really hadn't seen since the fallout from like the European sovereign debt crisis that was back in 2012, uh, for, for like six-month fall to be elevated that high, uh, I, I think you've got to respect the fact that we, we might be in this high ball regime for, for a good time to come. And, uh, you know, it'll definitely be interesting to follow those VIX positions um, that, that Henry mentioned uh, and to see kind of if, if we really see like the short vol trade return to the market in earnest that, you know, it seems to generally have taken a step back. But, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely respecting the, the possibility of, of a sustained high vol regime. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Um, well, I guess I'm more I guess I'm more of an optimist. I, I, I expect to see vols uh, chill out. Uh, you know, I expect the. I also am hopeful for a decisive end uh, to the uh, the election process, uh, so that you know we'll have one less thing to worry about. Uh, and you know, I, I, there are things I'm nervous about. I don't love the dominance of you know the the Fang stocks, uh, you know, making up such a huge part of market cap. I think that's um, that's not right. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, we see kind of a, a little bit of a correction to that. You know, you'll see Apple and Netflix take a take a hit, and some, kind of some of the the other names finally come up. But you know, there, there's a lot of, of um, turmoil, and, and you know, the the way that COVID has impacted energy prices, you, you know, that's playing through, right? It's killing uh, you know travel stocks and oil stocks and. Uh, you know, these companies are trying to figure out, is, is this temporary or is this, you know, is this, is this a, a three, four, five year? And, you know, maybe they'll be maybe even after this vaccine and everybody's vaccinated, which, you know, obviously it's going to take a while. Um, you know, will there be lingering effects with people now that realize telecommuting is, uh, you know, pretty, you know, can be very um, functional for certain businesses. Um, you know, maybe that's going to you know, going to be somewhat permanent for some segments. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I think that vol will come down. Uh, and uh, I think the market has a lot of uh, information to digest. And, uh, you know, there will be some companies that, that, are, that adapt and do well and some that, uh, that are really, really damaged. I agree. It's going to be an interesting 12 months. And there's only one way to find out. Um, so to close, I know you guys have some exciting products on each of your ends. If you'd like to just take a quick minute to plug, Dave, you can go first. Sure. No, just wanted to share, you know, at Jane Street, we provide liquidity, listed options, ETFs, and fixed income products to institutional clients around the world. And uh, given everything we've been talking about, we expect it's going to be a busy and volatile week. So we look forward to uh, serving their liquidity needs. And uh been great to be here well said well said henry uh well you know thank you patrick for having me on and you know I, i've been with SIBO for uh, uh about five or six months now 
you know, and we have an, we have a pretty amazing suite of offerings, you know, trade alert, which is my baby, but you know, live all pro and, you know, Silex and Hanwick, which does uh, really top end theoretical value uh, services and just what's available in the, the data shop, you know, which is really, you know, I, I remember years ago hearing Kathy Clay, who runs the, the entire division, saying that SIBO wanted to be the Amazon of options data. And I said, well, that's funny. I don't think there's nearly as many people interested in <laughs> options data as, as there are in stuff from Amazon. But I'll tell you, you can pop on, and if you want to get, you know, the last three months of option flow history in Neo, you can grab it and have that data very quickly, and uh, it's really pretty remarkable. So I'm excited. There's, there's just a lot going on in the interplay between the systems that we're uh, evolving, you know, within SIBO uh, is making things, you know, better and better. Wow. Yeah, that that turns out to be a brilliant analysis there. <laughs> there, that that's hysterical. Uh, well, Dave and Henry, this was this has been fun. Uh, probably a nice way to kind of get our mind off the, the election is to sit and dish about this. You know, you guys, I may tower over you guys on the basketball court, but you guys, <laughs> you guys definitely yes. towered over me on the uh, in the realm of volatility. So for that, I thank you and coming on and taking me to school. Uh, but you guys take care, and we'll we'll talk soon. Thank you too. You. Good chatting with you both. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you.